We're on a thousand planets and spreading out. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. The bat pulls. May the force be with you. Who is that mask? Avengers, assemble. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell, and we're going to begin the show with some genre-related news, as always. Victory Comics in Falls Church, Virginia, was the target of a brazen burglary during the early hours of Tuesday morning. Thieves smashed in a glass door and display case, making off with as much as approximately $100,000 in comics back issues. Victory owner Jeff Weaver initially estimated the theft of comic books to be worth at least $40,000, police said. Weaver increased his estimate of the stolen material after conducting an inventory. However, police have not immediately confirmed the new estimate. Weaver also believes the burglars knew exactly what they were looking for. They stole rare vintage comic books such as the first issue of the X-Men from the early 1960s, key comics that have served as source material for the Marvel movies such as the eighth issue of Avengers and books from the 1940s and the Golden Age. The cash register was untouched. A reward of $2,500 is offered for any information leading to the recovery of the books. Uh, sorry, for any information leading to the arrests of the thieves. And there's another $2,500 for the recovery of the books. <laughs> Anyone with information should contact Falls Church Police at 703-241-5053. Again, that number is 703-241-5053. Last weekend saw the return of the Small Press Expo after a two-year hiatus due to the pandemic. The event was held at the Marriott North Bethesda Hotel and Conference Center, uh, which is also known as Rockville, Maryland. <laughs> and, um, whoops. <laughs> Featured the Ignatz Awards, the festival prize of SPX. You can find a complete list of the winners on the Fantastic Forum Facebook page. And while you're there, if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter and Instagram and like us on, sorry, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We love to be liked and we like to be followed. The Artemis One rocket will not have its third launch attempt on Tuesday as planned due to concerns over Tropical Storm Ian, which is making its way toward Cuba and Florida. After meeting this morning, NASA's Artemis team decided to forego the September 27th launch opportunity and is now preparing the rocket stack for possible rollback to the Kennedy Space Center's Vehicle Assembly Building, or VAB. 
Artemis 1, the first flight of NASA's Artemis program of moon exploration, and returning humans to a permanent presence on, well, excuse me, establishing a permanent presence for humans on the moon. Um, will use a space launch system or SLS rocket to send an uncrewed Orion capsule on a journey to lunar orbit and back. NASA previously tried to launch the mission on August 29th and September 3rd, but was stymied both times by technical glitches, the second of which was a leak of fluid hydrogen propellant at an interface between the SLS and its mobile launch tower. Artemis 1 can stay at the launch pad as long as peak winds don't top 85 miles per hour and rollback to the VAB can safely occur through sustained winds of up to 46 miles per hour. If the team does decide to keep Artemis 1 on the pad, the mission could still conceivably meet the backup launch date of October 2nd. A rollback to the VAB would almost certainly mean further delays. Last Saturday, September 17th, was National Batman Day. Celebrated each year on the third Saturday in September, the day honors the comics, TV shows, and films in the Cape Crusaders' 83-year existence. Hopefully you enjoyed the day and celebrated appropriately. And a couple of anniversaries last week as September 19th marked 90 years since the television debut of Adventures of Superman, starring George Reeves and Phyllis Coates. It was the first TV series to feature the character. And The Flash, starring John Wesley Shipp and Amanda Pays, debuted on CBS TV 32 years ago on September 20th, 1990. James Earl Jones has signed over his voice rights as Star Wars Darth Vader, officially retiring from the role. The rights to the role now sit with Lucasfilm and Ukrainian AI audio company Respeecher. Respeecher previously worked on The Book of Boba Fett and Obi-Wan Kenobi. And despite his retirement from the role, both studios reportedly will still discuss their plans for Vader with Jones and, quote, heed his advice on how to stay on the right course, unquote. Some sad news this week is a American actress, Louise Fletcher, passed away on September 23rd. The Academy Award winner was best known to genre audiences for her role as Vedic Kai Wynn on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. She was 88. And if you're listening in the... It, well, excuse me, if you are in the listening area today, Clarendon Day returns for the first time since 2019. It's one of Arlington's largest street festivals. The event runs until 6 p.m. and includes music, food, vendors, art, and WERA. Several of our shows have been broadcasting live from the plaza. You can get more information by vis visiting the event page at clarendon.org backslash clarendon hyphen day. Today, we are talking about some of these news items and more. Joining me are Roberto Ortiz 
and Mike Lunsford. And uh, I am hoping to get everybody on here. Uh, let's see. Roberto? Yes. Uh, Mike, do we have you? Mike? Okay, maybe we still can don't... You hear me? Yes! Yes! Mike, I can hear you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're kind of spotty. I guess we're going to have to work on this. Oh, my we goodness. We'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah you know, That's, I... That sounded better. Yeah, that did sound a little bit better. <laughs> I'm not taking anything for granted here. Oh, man. All right. Well, look, so you heard uh, the news items that I started with. Um, I thought that, uh, at least in passing, I would mention uh, this business with James Earl Jones relinquishing the, re- relinquishing the role of Darth Vader. You know, I mean, that's that's a heck of a thing. I mean, I, I can't even imagine that this is what has happened after all these years. I mean, of course, uh, he actually helped originate the role with... Uh, oh, and this is terrible. This, this is what happens when you're trying to... The guy who used uh, to be the trainer for Christopher Reeve? The yeah, bodybuilder? Yeah, you know. The British and, and guy who's Dave Prowse. Exactly. Dave Prowse. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, because Dave Prowse was the um, the body. Yeah. And, I mean, in fact, it's funny. It's kind of like uh, uh, Freddy Krueger. You know, you've got the body. Well, you've got the body and I've got the voice. Um, anyway, but, yeah. So, uh, but the two of them together is what uh, created that iconic character have you seen the original uh recordings of dave prouse doing the the voices i have it's really bad (laughs) well let's say that it would have been quite an adjustment uh, (laughs) for audiences (laughs) if they'd have had to hear um you know and in fact i understand prouse was told that they were going to use his voice really yeah it was just going to be some kind of um some kind of, uh, they were going to run it through a, you know, voice synthesizer or something like that. And next thing you know, there's this very deep African-American voice. <laughs> well, I mean, not necessarily so even African-American. I mean, just you know. Can you just imagine David Faust <laughs> being like, man, that sounds great. <laughs> 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 yeah, that would that would have oh been really God. something. I I think he knew immediately though oh that, uh, that it wasn't him. But you know something that's something that's interesting. Uh, there has been a great deal of speculation about how well, frankly, whether or not uh, Jones has been doing the voice. Uh, for which he has been credited lately. Yes, I um, You know, given his age, the lack of audible differences in the Disney say, Plus yeah. show from his original work, and Respeacher having been credited for undisclosed work, that's where the speculation came that, for example, in Obi-Wan Kenobi, even though he was credited for it, he might not even have provided his voice. You want to know how they did it? Well, um, the AI studio put dialogue uh, together, yeah. and um, it, some others have speculated that Hayden Christensen provided the voice through a modulator that allowed him to sound like James Earl Jones. So technically, there's a whole lot of stuff that you can do. My theory is that if I was doing the messing with the AI algorithm, the way I would do it is that, yes, I would do that, and 
I will have James Earl Jones also doing the lines, taking consideration the fact his age, and the algorithm basically can yeah clean him up exactly clean mm -hmm. him up way, and it would be a more a better fit because it's the same person, it's just older. Uh, that's how I would do it, and then in post I would combine both voices. That's how I would do it. Mm -hmm. uh, Mike, was there something you were trying to say in there? I, ultimately, it was just like that. I mean, he's ninety-one. Yeah. Like, damn. If this is good for him, his last hurrah as Vader. I mean, I think everybody gets it, and I'm not. I'm not going to go conspiracy theorist on this and say that that I think that they were already using the well, the revoicer. I think is what it's called. Uh, or respeacher, yeah. Yeah, well, that uh, respeacher is the name of the yeah. Um, yeah. the name of the company. Company. Mm. Uh, I'm not going to go all conspiracy uh, theorists and say that like, oh, they strictly use respeacher in Obi Wan. But like, if you listen to the difference between his voice in Obi Wan and his voice in um, Rogue One, Rogue One, he sounds older. He sounds hmm. mm -hmm. he he like it, there's a noticeable difference between the, the voices in the two products or uh, productions. But like. This is just, again, just rampant speculation. I'm not going to be one of those people that's, like, uh, on the internet who's, like, this is a confirmed fact. My guess is, is they did have him come in to do the voice. They heard it, and he sounded old. And they didn't want to break his heart because, ultimately, he is the voice of Darth Vader. So they gave him full credit for it and then ended up cleaning it up in post, like like Roberto was saying. Yeah. Mm. Like, and saying to him, listen, man, you know, you've had a good run. You're, we're always going to give you credit for this voice because this is based on your voice. But, like... You know, we're going to go in a different direction. And, like, I think they they have enough respect for him to let him retire, if that makes sense. And I'm pretty sure they'll pay him. It's like... Thank hey. you. I was getting ready oh, to yeah. say just that. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and you know, he is not going to complain. But it's funny. And But I'm... Well, I'm glad to see him getting oh, yeah. his accolades now. Because something else recently, um, there was a uh, there was a theater that was renamed. Yes, in New York. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. so, um, you know, James Earl Jones getting this, uh, you know, theater named after him. And, you know, it, it's, I, I mean, isn't, mm -hmm. I hope this isn't a precursor. I mm -hmm. hope this isn't. Like, yeah, the Court it, Theater, Broadway yeah. Theater at 138 uh, West 48th Street between 7th and 6th Avenue. There you go. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just, just really hoping this isn't a precursor to him being ill and they're doing all of this as like a tribute to him before he passes well he's like, 91 i mean he lived a long yeah. life uh well and he has had a very illustrious career God, in yeah. fact do you know that uh, apparently um he was a main choice as ben cisco for ds9 that would have been awesome you know wow. I, but you know I ultimately I like Avery Brooks. I mean, because I felt like James Earl Jones had some age on him even then. And oh, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. it, it well, would have I mean, been very how old, interesting. Look how old he looked in uh, Field of Dreams. Like even then, he was like he looked old. But the thing think... is that then you can yeah. make the son older in his twenties. Yeah, but they wouldn't have done that. I mean, it was important that Jake be a younger guy. You know, I mean, essentially a kid. You know, and, and also because wow. I mean that that is one of the if not the best, but one of the best father-son relationships that has ever been depicted on television. Oh, yes. uh, <laughs> Yuli, hold that thought. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming via WERA.FM. We are your community radio station. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Mike Lunsford. 
and Roberto Ortiz, we've been talking about the retirement of James Earl Jones from the voice role of Darth Vader, which he has been doing mm-hmm. since 1977. Well, probably since 76. I got to imagine they recorded that stuff. But Star Wars came out in 77, so for all intents and purposes, we are going to say that, yes, from then. And um, you know, in, some way, in some ways, the end of an era, and yet not because there is continuity as he will continue to, Darth oh, Vader, yeah. rather, will continue to sound like Darth Vader. And what's kind of cool is basically is that he's, uh, he has a rep of being such a great guy to work with. I have never heard a bad thing about him professionally uh, anywhere. And it's amazing that such a guy who has a rep of being a teddy bear plays such bad guys. It's like, think about Tulsa Doom, how well he played that role. I was getting ready to say, who else are you talking about? But yeah, <laughs> come, oh, my pretty, come. <laughs> I know, can you imagine that movie without him? Mm, it would have been tough because they need it. I mean, uh, Arnold, Arnold, uh, let's face it. He's not the greatest actor. No. I don't know that we'll ever hear. I would like to thank my producer. No, I don't <laughs> think so. But no, Mike, I, I just got to piggyback onto what you, that line you delivered. It's like, <laughs> consider this, you know, on the tree of woe. And then they cut to him like crucified. And the first thing out of my mouth was, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just, I just. Or, or, or the line funny. when he says, "Come on, my sweetie, come on." Well, well I just did that. Yes, yes but, exactly. but that's the thing. It's like the way he come does on, it, <laughs> you buy it. It's like, yeah, I buy him as a Jim Jones kind of person that oh, yeah. would be, yeah, super charismatic. And he made the role. He does didn't feel like a performance. You know what I mean? When an actor basically mm. takes mm. a performance and you buy it so completely, it's not <laughs> a performance anymore. You, you're seeing Tulsa Doom. Somebody made a time machine. And recorded Tulsa Doom wrecking havoc on uh, Yes, you say that as if Tulsa Doom was an actual person. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he but was. Yes, According uh, to the multiverse theory, yeah. there's a possibility he was. I have never heard that before. You never heard but, that? No, oh, but. Oh. I'll tell you later. <laughs> well, uh, maybe we can get to that uh, later even now. Be- well, not later now, but I mean, because, hey, quiet as it's kept, one of the things that I did kind of want to talk about was the multiverse. And uh, we will absolutely get to that. Hey, uh, but I, I, I don't want to let slide the fact that Louise Fletcher yeah. passed away. I mean, since, we, since we're talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine... Um, you know, we have to give a tip of the hat to Space Karen, the ultimate Space Karen, <laughs> Louise Fletcher, because uh, as as, as uh, Vedic Wynn, before she became the Kai of the Bajoran people, you know, their spiritual wow. leader, uh, I mean, she defined political maneuvering in that show. I mean, because some of the stuff she did was so dirty. I mean, yeah. you remember that time she was trying to have Vedic Barail assassinated because he was the leading candidate to become Kai, and she did all that stuff. And you know, in fact, because uh, O'Brien's wife had started a school yep. on the space station, and you know, through her machinations, this is when she had the Bajoran children pulled out of the school, and uh, you know, all this stuff to draw Barail to the station. Yeah, so she could have him assassinated. I was like, oh, wow, you know? And the cool thing is that she's so indignant. It's like, 
how dare you? And it's like, you buy, talk about another believable bad guy. Um, bad girl. Oh, she was totally believable. <laughs> but Louise Fletcher, hey, Academy Award winning actress for um, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest yes. is Nurse Ratchet. <laughs> but the characters I mean, are and, completely and different. And that term, Ratchet. Yeah. I mean, you know, hey, I, you can't tell me that Ratchet ain't from Nurse Ratchet. But but Ratchet basically is different from Kai because she... Oh, very different. You can tell that during the resistance, she endured a lot of horrible things. Well, she said that as much in a in a whole nother episode. And in fact, you kind of felt for her because, you know, here was Kira dogging her out. And she's, my child, you and other resistance fighters act as if you were the only ones who fought the Cardassians. I endured beatings on a daily basis in the prison camps. And, uh, and I was like, and the look on Kira's face was like, well, I never thought about that. <laughs> you know, I mean, because the Vedics, you know, as the people who yeah. were the keepers of the religion, they would have been particularly dangerous to the Cardassians. Yep. And, uh, you know, so you just had some sympathy for her. It was like, wow, okay, maybe you're not all bad. But then she started worshiping the pirates, and I'm like, nope. You're as bad. <laughs> <laughs> You're as bad. Mike, what, 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 you, what you got? You got a good villain, though. I mean, honestly, that's how you know you got a good villain. When they're fully fleshed out, they're a three-dimensional character. Yeah. It's not just, you know, bad bad person twirling their mustache. Um, yeah, that's what made them so effective as as the villain. And, and one of, arguably one of the best villains that we've seen in, in any of the Star Trek franchises. Yes. There was, there was so much depth going on. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, and perhaps... Not just one of the best villains, but, I mean, certainly you could put Kai Wen up there in the top five. She may even be number one. I mean, I, I have a difficult time. I mean, okay, you can say Khan was one of the best villains. I mean, even though he, it, it, we're talking about a relatively limited run. Um, you know, and then, I, you know, I... I I don't know. I mean, you know, I <laughs> I, I don't think he tops the Borg personally, but like, well, okay, you know, the Borg, you know, but but again, we're not talking about a specific individual. It's I mean, because and if you want to go there, I mean, you got to throw in the Klingons and the Romulans and stuff like. Yeah. I mean, when you know, when we were talking about villains, I mean, I was trying to come up with a specific Klingon. Or a specific Romulan. Well, but yeah. that—that's the problem with Star Trek. I mean, you know, a lot of it's one and done. I mean, even though uh, I mean, shoot. Well, actually, even characters like Kor and Kang and Koloth, you know, they got their one episode in the original series, but then came back on DS Nine to kind of, oh, okay, well, we get to see all them again, yeah. which was which blew my mind. But know. the cool thing about the, what they did in Deep Space Nine, specifically with her character, is that. That's the beauty of Deep Space Nine, that you can actually show the progression of a character and exp get into their head on why they were a bad person. And she could have just simple fo simply phoned it in, in terms of the character. You know, just play it this way, that she's supposed to be passive-aggressive, blah, blah, blah. But she puts a lot of thought and nuance in the performance that she was doing. She was power-hungry. Yes. I mean, she was just, she, she was just, I mean, in fact, do you remember the one yeah. where she decided she was going to be first minister of Bayshore too? It was like, oh, you know, I mean, and that was like, oh, wow. All right. So now, now we see the end game here. You know, it's not just Kai. You don't want to stop there. I mean, you got all this stuff that you want to do. And, and mind you, this is while 
Deep Space Nine was going through one of the biggest interstellar wars that has never happened in Star no, Trek. No, that was that was before that. But the thing is that her storyline ended with Star, uh, Deep Space Nine. Oh, yeah. And oh, the yeah. point is that mm -hmm. even that didn't overshadow her character and her performance, if you stop to think about it. That no, not it, at all. And that's well, it was running concurrent. I know, with but it's impressive that, stuff, that she know? was able to every time she came back to the show. Oh, this show is mine now. I'm go you're gonna pay attention to me <laughs> now. I don't care all the stuff that's all the blowing special. No, no, you're gonna pay attention to me because I'm gonna do horrible things to the people you like. <laughs> well, and that was part of the strength of Louise Fletcher yeah. as a performer, you know, because she demanded I mean it, it, she, yeah. yeah exactly and her performance drew you in to where you could not ignore this character and it forced know? the other actors basically level up because you realize that this woman is not phoning it in and I better basically show up prepared to be able to not look like a damn fool yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well you know I mean which is to say nothing uh, about the various other roles because I mean this was merely the role by which genre audiences knew her best I mean yeah, she was of course. as I recall she was in VR5 um, oh goodness um, there's there's some other stuff that she did uh, you know so uh, it, it's but you know I mean she was rich, totally legit Totally, the Academy Award winner, like I said. I mean, because <laughs> one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I mean, you could, you know, practically call it after that. So, well, anybody who basically can survive acting against Jack Nicholson, and not considering that he's a notorious scenery sure, mm. uh, and not be and be able to basically be remembered for your performance, that means that you must be doing something right. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. Hey. Um, Something else that I wanted to mention, because just because I thought this was, I mean, we're talking about dirty stuff here. You know, I mean, robbery at Victory Comics. And, yeah. you know, I have to say, Victory Comics, I love Victory Comics. They have been a sponsor of Fantastic Forum in the past. And I was just mortified to hear about yeah. this. Yeah. You know? Do you have any suspicion who may have done it? Mm, well, I, I certainly don't know. But um, I'm sorry, Mike, what were you saying? I just said it was a shame. It's an absolute yeah. shame. And, like, it, it's it's especially frustrating after hearing more about the story from what, what you said at the beginning of the show that this sounded like an inside job. Yeah. This was not smash and grab. This was not some person who was just like, you know, I need a quick fix and I need money. No, this is somebody who knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah. And, like, that, that makes it hurt even more because it's not... If it's just somebody who's desperate for money, yeah, that's awful. But, like... It's not as bad as like more or less one of our own turning on us to steal stuff to try to make a profit because that's not I want this as a collection. They're going to try to turn around and resell this. And yeah, of course. And I would be basically checking all the usual suspects like eBay and um, basically because this is not easy stuff to unload. This is are some very rare comic books. So yeah, you have to go to somebody who is familiar with the value of the comics themselves you know i mean and and i would hope that jeff weaver the owner of victory comics has notified i mean you know because he's a colleague of these various other comics dealers you know i mean so you got to figure that uh, what makes and, oh and the other thing i just wanted to address this because you know mike you you use the term inside job and 
Yes, perhaps, but not inside in the sense that. Oh uh, no, 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 of course. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't think that I don't think that an employee did this. Let me let me clarify. I'm sorry. Um, I think that somebody like cased the joint. Is like you know. Yeah. Like, yes. Uh, yeah. No, I don't. No, I am not implying that an employee did this. Thank you for for saying that. Yeah. Um, no, I just think that somebody scoped this out. It's probably somebody that they know, like a customer who's come in or something like that, and that's what makes this even more egregious. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, and then, you know, it, uh, okay, it wasn't, I mean, it, it. you said it wasn't a smash and grab, but it kind I mean, it, it, and in the sense that, because I think the way that people think about smash and grab, where you smash and you grab, but it was, but they just knew what they were grabbing, is what it was. Yeah. I mean, is they smashed through the front door, they smashed through the display cases, and they grabbed all this stuff, you but know? Again, yeah, like, how in the literal sense, but, like, I think smash and grab, you just bash in the door and grab whatever you can and run out. Yes, but like, yes. Yeah, and, like, yes. you say, you, you even said it in the in the story, they did not touch the register. Yes. And, and the that's telling. But the question is, how are they going to unload this? Because some of those comic books are so rare. Well, you, you got to look at, it, like, just like I said, because you got to figure, Jeff is going to contact... And I can call him Jeff because I actually yeah. know the guy. But, you know, Jeff is going to contact his comic book store colleagues and be like, hey, dude, why be on the lookout because this is what this is the inventory of what I got stole. So if somebody sashays into your store with a copy of X-Men number one, there's a very good chance they got it from having stole it from me. So you got to figure it's the individual collector's market where they're going to do this. And uh, yeah, so I'd be watching eBay, and yeah. um, you know, I. But hey, I guess I guess we will ultimately have to see what happens in terms of that because I don't want to well, see me, somebody. Uh, wait, I'm sorry. What, Mike? Oh no, I was going to ask you guys because you're going to be way more familiar with it than I am. Like with something like this, typically the the editions uh, that he had, in order for them to be as valuable as they are. They're essentially certified, right? Yeah. They have like, like serial numbers and things like that. Bingo. So, like, doesn't that kind of make it almost impossible to like unload this without it being traced? Well, I okay. The the certification of the condition of the books. Um, I don't know if that includes some sort of registration or not. That's, That's a, a very interesting question. question. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, because something, you know, I think it's to get it CGI certified mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know and, and, well, but again. What's what's interesting about this is, like, I get to flex my other nerd um, cred, and that's insurance agent. Oh, ah, um, yes. Because the first thing I thought of when I heard this was, oh, God, I hope they had insurance coverage. Because with the type of coverage that they would be looking for, this is not just your standard, well, let's just get business insurance. Now, these are very unique items, so they would need what are called personal articles floaters, meaning that they would need to have individualized coverage for items like this, and those things have pictures, they have serial numbers, hmm. they have very descriptive information, so that if something like this were to happen, you know exactly what you're replacing. So, hmm. fingers hmm. crossed, I hope that Jeff from Victory had this kind of insurance, because if he does, one, they can be replaced, two, it can help aid in catching whoever did this. And it's a major felony. Too. Well, mm. too. well, yeah, because of the value of the yeah. stuff. Yeah. This has been your crime. Yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> on that cheery note, uh, that musical cue means it's time for us to take a short break. 
of course, Fantastic Forum comes to you via WERA, 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. We're a community radio station. We're non-commercial. We rely on the ongoing generosity of our underwriters, listeners, and sponsors for the ongoing operation of the radio station. Visit the website at WERA.FM or that of our parent organization, Arlington Independent Media, at ArlingtonMedia.org. To find out how you can make your tax-deductible gift in support of community radio, community media today. So, we got a lot more we're going to talk about. In fact, in the second half of the show, we're going to talk about the multiverse. Every element of the multiverse. That's coming up right after this. So, stick around because Mike and Roberto and I will be right back with more Fantastic Forum after these messages. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Fantastic Forum here on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming via WERA.FM. We are Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Mike Lunsford and Roberto Ortiz. And when we took the break, we were talking about... Well, we were talking about that burglary on Tuesday over at Victory Comics in Falls Church, Virginia. And Mike, you had just given us some stunning insight because I can't tell you for whom he works, but I can tell you that he's an insurance agent and he's one of the best, let me huh. tell you. So, oh, yeah. Aww. <laughs> well, you are extremely knowledgeable, sir. It's <laughs> all I can I mean, say. I've been there for 10 years, I would hope so. <laughs> hey, um, can I say who you don't work for? Is that okay? Um, let's just leave it at <laughs> I work for an insurance. Let's just leave it at I that. just love that that happens so often in the D.C. area. It's, well, uh, it's well, like, I, it, it I know so many people who tell me exactly that. I cannot tell you who I work for. But look, look it, it, Roberto, it wasn't going to be like a, um, you know, a system of elimination or something. It's just... And Mike has cracked me up with this uh, because, and it, hey, who knew insurance humor? But there's there's <laughs> there's a company in particular that uh, is uh, they're they're heavily advertising, and there was a tagline that they had been using. <laughs> and uh, I mean, can we tell that joke or can we not? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So yeah. A, yeah. Yes. There's a commercial that goes essentially like, um, oh, such and such is not covered on my policy. Uh, well, it turns out that I have the wrong. Uh, my insurance company said, oh, "Well, it turns out you're the wrong policy." And the and the person turns to the camera and goes, "No, I have the wrong insurance company." And my response was, "No, you have the wrong insurance policy." <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It's one of those things. It's, it's a super nerd insurance thing, like, but like, it's so often that like people just don't understand how it works. And and it's not a slight to any single person out there who's listening right now. Yeah, because you're not supposed to understand insurance. No. The, our, our heavily regulated license. market. I have a license to do this. Like, it, it's not something that I just showed up one day and they were like, hey, you want to sell insurance? No, <laughs> I have to be licensed. I have to maintain yep. my license. Mm -hmm. I have to know what I'm talking about. So Ongoing training and all that. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And this is not a plug. I'm not telling you the name of the insurance company that I, that I work for. 
But if you ever need help with something like this, reach out to an insurance agent. It's our job to know this stuff. We will gladly go over it with you. And most of the time, try not to sell you something. But we might try to sell you something too. <laughs> well, but the important thing is that you be knowledgeable. And, and, and that was my issue with that commercial. You know, when they're like, oh, no, I don't have the, I have the wrong insurance company. Well, which is a blatant attempt by a particular insurance company to hit you with, I mean, because anytime they're tagged, like, well, only pay for what you need. How do you really know what you need until you need it? I mean, that's, uh, you know, I mean, I understand part of it is about the contingencies, but that whole idea idea of, oh, we're going to save you money by only making you pay for what you need. I mean, that sounds like a scam to me, quite frankly. You know what, though? I'll tell you this. From my experience, what that is, is every single person who thinks that it's something that you're only going to pay for what you need, those are the ones that end up having the worst losses and complain the most when Mm. they're not properly covered. Uh, Mm. Have you guys ever writing a comic book about this? It's like, think about it. It would be a great character... That specializes in selling insurance to, I don't know, magic users, you know, superheroes. Uh, what's, the name, what's the name of the company in uh, Marvel? Crap. Um, uh, da- damage Control. Thank you. Yeah. Like, that, first off, that would be the lamest in, uh, comic book ever. Um, <laughs> Actually, like, no. It would be kind of cool. I depends mean, Depends who writes it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that'll be my next project, uh, Roberto. Maybe we'll we'll work on that one together. <laughs> Thank you. But I think it sounds like a cool idea. It's like, why not? An adventure... Who happens to sell insurance? Well, and let me tell you something. <laughs> Roberto, you have just given somebody out there in Radio Land a great idea. They are <laughs> scribbling furiously and prepared to bring this thing to market for you. You yeah. know, it's like, boy, that gonna, I'm not even going to give this guy credit. <laughs> we're going to need to copyright that quick. <laughs> you know, all, all, all the more reason why you need to be a regular listener to this show. <laughs> you know, it's like, you might get the idea of the century jeez you know hey but yeah well but with the time that we have left on today's show um i did want to talk a little bit about multiverses yeah and because there's the multiverse in dc comics you've got the multiverse in marvel comics now you've got the multiverse in marvel cinematic universe and there's the multiverse in terms of star trek and a whole bunch of other franchises and there's so much of this stuff i mean in fact hey heck roberto and i were talking before the show started about um theories of quantum physics upon which all this stuff is based and the world's theory Yeah. yeah well and they broke it down in um an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, it was season 7 episode, where uh, Mr. Worf was on his way back from a Batleth tournament. And he passed through some, so the shuttlecraft he was in passed through some sort of spatial rift, and uh, it created a um, uh, some kind of connection to these other universes uh, based on what he, uh, well, what he had been exposed to. And every time, because of the way Geordi's visor worked, Every time Worf came into contact with Geordi, um, some sort of pulse in the visor sent him to another uh, universe. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and it was, I mean, it was, it was really a trip because in the climactic conclusion of that episode, the barrier between universes started to break down, and all these different enterprises started to appear in the quadrant. And uh, you know, where, where you get one of the ultimate lines in Star Trek. 
Captain, we're getting 50,000 hails. You know? I, I would have given money to be on the same room when they told Rob Legato, the visual effects guy, that you have to show me <laughs> 10,000 enterprises back well, in the day with models. And, and more appearing <laughs> each day. But I'll tell you what, um, the other thing that I like, because all that to say, they explained uh, that theory in a, in a briefing. And um, Lieutenant Wesley Crusher was talking about it. He had a little graphic, yeah. and here was like the one shuttlecraft, and it hits the thing, and then there are two, and then there are four, and then there are eight, and then there are 16, 32, and other, you know. Because there's a theory, and I think this is the theory you were talking about, that every possibility that could occur actually does occur in some quantum reality. Yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson and Stephen Hawking believe in that, which is mind-blowing it means that every it's it's insane actually when somebody explained to me it's, it gets even more wilder because it means that the universe is so infinite that anything you can think of probably could happen uh in terms of the what all the possibilities of happening uh is there a universe mm -hmm. that maybe looks like the future of star trek maybe is there a universe where basically the dinosaurs never exist uh, stop existing maybe so in a mm -hmm. universe where you marry this woman instead of this universe, maybe. It's like, it's so mind-blowing and so humbling. <laughs> well, I, I honestly, fellas, I don't worry about it because since I exist in this universe and the way that my life has unfolded is the only possible way it could have unfolded because that's the way it did unfold. Are and you so sure? I have, I'm positive. <laughs> How do you know? There's, there's actually a theory called the Mandela effect. Uh-huh, and what's that? You never heard oh. of that? Mike? Mandela effect. Yeah. Mike, we, do you know? You know it, right? I do, yeah. Will you please but, tell him? Because I don't, this man is about to have his mind blown. Okay, so the Mandela effect basically posits that, like, anything that you think is, oh, well, I remember this being different when I was younger. Chick-fil-A was spelled with C and not C-K in the chick part. Um, it's It was Berenstein Bears, not Berenstain Bears. Um, Nelson Mandela like died in prison. Yeah, that yeah, that Nelson Mandela died in prison. That people remember these things, and that what that is is that is a divergence in the timeline because it actually is the way you remembered it. And the reason that it happened, and the, uh, is because of the Large Hadron Collider. It basically split the uh, the universe into the multiverse. Now, I personally don't believe in this because I know for a scientific fact that human memory is very fallible. But the problem is, is most people are too arrogant to admit that. And they're like, no, there's no way. I definitely remember it being this way. No, you don't. It, it's okay. <laughs> like, it, it, it's why when somebody is like, well, I remember this thing that happened five years ago. That's why it's inadmissible in court, because people's memories are not infallible. But and the, like, it's just, it's a funny thing to think about. But, like, I, I think it's, I think it's bunk, personally. But the weird thing is basically is that there's a collective agreement that there's certain memories and there's a theory about that too. That basically it's just a uh, there's a collective um, <sighs> hysteria. That's another way of saying hmm. where people agree in a collective that this happened this way. That's kind of the same way uh, cults and conspiracies basically form. But going back to many worlds theory, um, what's mind blowing and specifically is that there's some experiments that have proven it that it might be true. <sighs> 
Oh, please. What kind of experiment? You know, it's, it's we're, we're, the... we're, we're not even going to entertain no, that. But it's a... Hold it's... that thought. You're listening to Fantastic <laughs> Forum on WERA 96.7 FM. your friend. And streaming <laughs> online at WERA.FM. Radio Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Roberto Ortiz and Mike Lunsford. And Roberto was going off about something. No, I, I don't no, even know. no, 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 no. It's basically it's it's experiment from physics. Basically, how do you prove something like that? You can't prove something like that. Come on, hey, hey, you know, with the time we have left, I'd rather talk about the multiverse in fiction, you know, <laughs> because that's a heck of a lot more fun. And I'm going to say that. Um, I've had some difficulty with this because a lot of the time the multiverse is used in connection with some sort of reboot yes. of something. And How I found to make it money? very difficult <laughs> to accept. I mean, not to accept, but when I recognized that the DC universe that I grew up on was a reboot. Now, essentially, my introduction to the DC Universe were the filmation cartoons of the early 60s, early to mid 60s. And, you know, so, I, but, but where I'm going with all this is if Jay Garrick isn't your Flash, then it's a reboot. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. And I was just, I was struck by that because Barry Allen is my guy. And I just, you know, the red costume and, you know all that. I mean, the, hey, there's nothing wrong with the Mercury helmet, but there ain't nothing right about uh, it either. There's actually what happens is basically there was a famous comic book in the 1950, that is considered to be one of the most important comic books ever for DC Comics. Which and is why is that, Roberto? Because of the story of the Flash of the Two Worlds. Well, that wasn't in 1952. Uh, yes. No, I'm sorry, that was 1956. Sure, it was, yeah, I'm positive. It was 1956 when uh, the character was rebooted. In fact, the original Flash character um, had not seen his final appearance until... Oh, sorry. Ooh, I want to say it might have been 1950 or, or 1952. You know, it wasn't that long between the end of... The, well, the, well the, the last appearance of the Jay Garrick Flash and the first appearance of the Barry Allen Flash. The multiverse theory was actually presented in 1952, my bad. Oh, you, okay. That's well, where, that's where not, I got yes, it from. Okay. But having said that, the first use in It was fiction in Showcase Comics also. <laughs> was, uh, but the cool thing about this is basically is that DC, when I grew up, and basically most of my comics I grew up were from the 80s, for me, if you told me multiverse and comic book company, I immediately would think DC Comics because my introduction to the comics books were Crisis of the Infinite Earths. And that's where... Really? Oh, yes. That was where you first got into it? Yeah, that blew my freaking no mind. No kidding. I, yeah, that... That was pretty recent, considering. Yeah, but, yeah. And it's sad that Marvel is eating DC Comics cake in terms of the multiverse. Oh, come on. Don't, even, you, don't, don't promote that preposterous claptrap on this show. You know what? <laughs> No, uh, no, look, don't. I mean, because what people seem to forget is 1978, a little movie called Superman the Movie. Yes. That started the whole, that, do you hear me? That began first, very first, big budget Hollywood blockbuster superhero movie. You sure about that? Because there's a Batman movie from the 60s. That too. wasn't a big budget Hollywood blockbuster. 
that was spun off from the TV series. Fair I mean, enough. you know, Superman the movie. I mean, it had a budget. In fact, we're going to look up the budget of that Batman. T- I mean, they spent some money. They spent more money on it than they did the TV series. And in fact, I understand William Dozer had originally wanted to do a Batman movie, but 20th Century Fox wasn't interested. Huh. And so he sold it as a series. And then he still went, it got so popular, he was like, hey, we need to try and capitalize on this and do a movie. But then Fox really wasn't interested until the end of the first season. And it was during the summer hiatus when they actually did the movie. Huh. But I'm, I'm, you know, just, I, I want to see what the budget was. But the cool thing about Batman. going back to Batman is that, uh, and the multiverse is that they actually used that version of the Batman. Uh, fairly recently about 15 or 15 years ago on a planet well when, well, when you say that version of the batman which the version Adam are you talking West about version. they used it on an issue of planetary and the planetary basically uh was visiting all the incarnations of batman mm-hmm. and one of them was a 19 and the point they were making is that it doesn't matter which version of the multiverse batman is batman um but i think the only problem that we are having specifically on how the multiverse is being used, and specifically Marvel now, I am concerned about it lowering the stakes of you investing yourself in certain characters, knowing full well that if they kill, say, She-Hulk, there's another version of She-Hulk in the multiverse, so who cares? Wait, uh, Mike, you had something to say about that? I Actually, I was going to agree, yeah. like ah. I, I, It's one of the things that, like, the, the multiverse concept is dangerous in the wrong hand oh yeah because it can be a very lazy way to write and it's just like well how do we fix the problem of we killed off we'll use star trek where you know this is my entry into the multiverse um as a kid because i watched the original series i watched next generation and there's a lot of different stories where we see multiple dimensions and multiple timelines and things like that i'm gonna use tasha yar as an example um the actress denise crosby kicks herself because she's like i shouldn't have left star trek i should have given it a longer chance so the writers and producers were like, all right, we'll bring her back. We'll do some different stuff with her. And they did. And, like, it's an, it's a, it's done right, which I think Star Trek did it right. It's excellent storytelling. And it can be really, really compelling. But if done wrong, it's just a lazy way to fix problems. And the problem is basically is that you start losing the immediacy and concern for the characters because you just think, oh, they'll just bring another version of the character. And and Rick and Morty makes a whole joke about that. Uh, well, but it, it, the, the key is, how do you, because I haven't seen that done yet in terms of, well, ex- well, no I, I, uh, no, I haven't seen that done yet where one character dies and they get another character from another universe and bring them in. Rick and Morty does that all the time. They did it in um, yeah. they did it in What If. Yes. So in What If, um, Scar- uh, um, in one of the universe, it was the one where they did the uh, where uh, Ant Man kills all the Avengers because he's mad because mm-hmm. um, uh, what's her name? Uh, his daughter died in a uh, in an in accident because she was a Shield agent, um, and he ends up killing a bunch of the Avengers. And the only one like that that particular Avengers team is missing a Black Widow, and they're fighting like a massive threat when. Um, Loki invades Earth with the Chitari, and they end up taking a Black Widow from another universe and throwing her into that one to replace it. Because okay. that Black Widow was like one of the only survivors of her universe. Okay. Well, that's the only... T- and and 
I mean, so far. yes. Well, well, but I tell you, I was. I mean, I can't claim that that doesn't count because, yeah. it, you know, I mean, I I was just looking for an example. But um, I mean, the closest that I was going to say, I remember in an episode of Star Trek, but this wasn't from another universe. I mean, this was a spatial scission that had created um, a duplicate Voyager. But and you may remember this one. It was oh, called. Yeah. In fact, it's it's a great episode. And um, the title of it escapes me at this second, but um, there are two Voyager because it all the matter on the ship is duplicated is the key, and but so you have the two ships that are sharing the same space, but they're both trying to draw power from a single source of antimatter, and that's what's messing them up. Anyway, at the conclusion of that, the Vidians attack. Um, oh, and Harry Kim is killed. This this is the key. Harry Kim is killed on one of the ships, and then from the other ship. Um, it, uh, Janeway sends Harry Kim because that was the one where Ensign Wildman had her baby too. But she's like, she sends, you know, there's one other thing I can do for you. I'm going to send Harry Kim through the rift with Ensign Wildman's baby. Somehow, it seems only fair. You know, and it's like, oh, dang. You know? I, I gave him money to see Garrett Wong reading that script. And I was like, wait, what? They did that, what, to me? Well, it does have one of the <laughs> Call best. Call my agent. <laughs> it does have one of the best lines um, of, of any Star Trek episode at the conclusion where, uh, you know, Kim is expressing uh, a confusion at his new situation. He says, well, you know, technically, you're not my captain and this isn't my ship but there's no difference but i know there's a difference it's all a little weird but we'll and never Jane talk Wayne about replies, this again <laughs> ensign kim were starfleet officers weird is part of the job you know <laughs> just like yeah but no of course because that's you know limited to that what and it doesn't matter because hey now they got harry back and you know that's one of the reasons i say the hour-long dramatic program is the ultimate form of dramatic presentation. You know what? <laughs> yes. Maybe that little smart remark from Harry Kim is the reason why he never got promoted. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, but I, I cannot basically speak to Ill about uh, multiverses because um, because of the multiverse, I think I got one, for me, one of the most awesome comic book moments in my life, which is basically when you had the original Superman, literally the original Superman, fighting the anti-monitor at the end of Crisis on the Infinite Earths. Hmm. Well, and that would stand out for you, given the fact that that was your introduction into the whole thing. Um, you know, it's funny, because DC was the example that I was going to use, and it's the whole Earth 1, Earth yeah. 2, Earth 3 thing. Because, of course, Earth 3 is the crime syndicate, yeah. with Ultraman and Owlman and Superwoman. The boys' and, universe, uh, basically. Uh, yeah, yeah, excuse me, before they, excuse me, you know, you mean the boys' universe is the crime syndicate, yeah, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, well, I mean, but they pretend to be good guys, though, in the boys' universe. But, um, yeah, you know, so, and I was fascinated by that. In addition to Earth 2, where you had the Justice Society. Yeah. And, um, you know, they were really cool. In fact, I, for a long time, I, well, when All-Star Comics started publishing the Super Squad, which was um, Star Spangled Kid... Robin and uh, one uh, Power Girl, and I remember there was an issue where they reintroduced the original Superman, and uh, you know, because because all these characters were a lot older, and in fact, it was kind of jacked up because the original Batman had died, but had a daughter, the Huntress, and you know, they did some okey doke stuff, and all of a sudden she wasn't 
Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle's daughter anymore. She was the daughter of some mobster or something like that. And I'm like, oh, you ain't Helena Wayne. You're Helena Bertinelli or something. I'm yep. like, oh, this is this is messed up because I liked her a lot more when um, she was the daughter of Bruce Wayne. <laughs> you know, and uh, you know. Anyway, though. So, but on that note. It seems we are out of time for this week's show. I'd like to thank my panelists and you, too, for having tuned in. Of course, Fantastic Forum is also a television show, and you can find it if you check your local listings or if you go to the website, fantasticforum.tv. We've got complete episodes of the show broken out. We've got segments of the show broken out. You can also find complete episodes of the radio show. And the radio show happens to be available as a podcast. Thanks to Mike Lunsford and our friends over at the Great Geek Refuge. You can find, download it, and take it with you from all those platforms where you find your favorite podcasts. And the show re-airs each and every Thursday right here on WERA 96.7 FM from 3 to 4. Although, after next week... There's going to be a schedule change, and I the show is moving to Sunday afternoons. I'm not crazy about it. I like the whole weekday thing, but hey, Alvin Jones knows what he's doing, and we're going to give it a go since I don't have a choice. So our main time is staying just where it is, right here from 4 to 5 on Saturday afternoons. Be sure to come back next week. Same bat time, same bat station. In the meantime, get out and enjoy the rest of Clarendon Day. Enjoy your weekend. Have a safe and happy one, people.